0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. If you have your Bible, if you didn't bring it, that's okay. You can open up your app or whatever. But if you have a Bible, you can go to the book of Colossians. It's near the back of your Bible pretty much near the back it's a small little letter book of Colossians today we're gonna go look at this and have a series about what this means uh, from the book of Colossians as the people of God and then we will be going into this book we're gonna discover it together and learn about it and open it up and it's gonna be a great thing latter half of your Bible it's a beautiful letter and it is very very dense uh, not necessarily in terms of its length, but it's very dense and its its impact and its information. Um, but you can read this letter in one sitting, and it's really dense. And so, hopefully, part of my job uh, is I can communicate. Uh, for you is for you to read the Bible each and every week a little bit more for yourself. So as you discover this book, let's pray. I'm going to pray that we, you can read this letter in one sitting. Now it may take you a little bit because it's a lot to digest, but you can read this I know you can do it, church. You can read this in one setting, and uh, it's only four chapters long, and it's really good. So uh, Colossians, the book of Colossians. And uh, so we want to discover this book and the ways in which God is working in and through it, and even in our personal lives. It's a big value of mine. Hopefully that the scriptures will be open to you and that we can read it together as well. So why call this the series kind of Colossians, the supremacy of Christ? Why the supremacy of Christ? Well, one of the things that comes from, the themes that come across this book, this letter, is that God has come in Christ to bring forth the gospel, the good news of salvation for everyone. And this is the idea of this book, is the supremacy of Christ. God's grand and great news is that he has announced to the world the good news of Christianity that we proclaim is the supremacy of Christ, and it changes everything. God is the greatest treasure, supreme being over all things and over all people for all the earth. He is the highest authority and highest over all things. And might God be the object in the center of this all through us and over us, and in us and over us might God and Christ be the center of all that we do and so the centrality of Christ that God's name would be proclaimed in his heart and mind over all things and all people so here's sort of even today's just big idea uh, but even just over the entirety of the book of Colossians it's this that the gospel is the supremacy of Christ which absolutely changes everything absolutely changes everything Gospel meaning the good news, the good news, good you, news for you and I as we take the good news to the ends of the earth. The good news is the greatest gift of all time for all mankind and for every single human heart. The story of Jesus is for everyone, everywhere, and all the time. Colossians 1.18 is the signature verse, and it says this, and he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the what? supremacy and at the beginning when sin entered the world it separated us from God it separated us from darkness and sin and death and through Adam and Eve it separated us from the one true God and the creator of the universe we were separated at the beginning from a life with God as you see in the work and the person of Jesus Christ, that God, through the person of Christ, is bringing forth the supreme object and treasure of what it truly means to follow Jesus. God is getting his rightful place as the supreme object of our lives and of our hearts. It absolutely changes everything from the inside out, not from the outside in, from the inside out. And as a Christian, the greatest object and treasure of the heart is the person and work of Christ. We have a joy that the world does not know about. Christ is our our greatest treasure christ is our greatest treasure and for all things our lives and our hearts and our beings we are bringing forth supremacy over all things and all peoples in our and all things so that when christ is formed in us we are doing this for the world around us and christ does this in our being the treasure of the heart is the person of christ we live more live and move and have joy that the world does not know about and that changes everything for us the changes everything. So let me introduce you this little letter. This is a letter uh, written by Paul, a guy named Paul. It's a letter to Christians in the church in Colossae, and Colossae sits on the west end of Turkey, toward the coast, and it's right on the coast there of western Turkey, and it's well studied in connection to the letter of Philemon. You might have heard of that as well. It was kind of a small town in the area, was not well known in the shadow of its nearby neighbors, uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis. Uh, Bible scholars believe that the Colossian church came into being during Paul's two-year ministry in Ephesus because Acts 19 says that during this time, all the residents of Asia heard about the word of the lord and the guy who writes this letter his name is paul paul is the writer of this book notice in the very if you, write, if you have it open you can even look in verse 1 paul was a former murderer of christians no uh, no life early in the first century would have changed as much as it did paul It's amazing what he did. Was a first century Jew and he met the Lord on Damascus Road and his story and the change in his life is a wonderful backdrop to this book of Colossians. It's a dramatic change in his life. To the wonderful this this wonderful book of Colossians. So his Hebrew name is Saul, Uh, Roman name is Paul, and born in Tarsus, now Turkey. Uh, From birth, his life was steeped in centuries-old Judaism. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, blue-blooded as they came, belonged to the Pharisees, obeyers of the of the Law of Moses. Passion was all encompassing, and he took his very his faith seriously and obedience machines, kind of so-called. The most important thing in his life was his Jewish faith and everything was shaped from that. Then one day, One day, that reality, the most important thing changed. The most important thing about his life, the most important part about his being, it changed. And some of you know how this happens. Some of you have experienced this in a blink of an eye. He posed the challenge to Judaism. Everything changes in Christianity, led by a carpenter from Nazareth as it spread across the Roman Empire like wildfire through this new movement. Paul headed north to Damascus to find Christians, Christ followers, and put them in prison right outside put them in prison outside of a light, and the light shined off. He was riding a horse, and the light shined, and it knocked him off of his horse. And for three days, he pondered the light. For three days, he pondered the voice that he had heard. For three days, he had opposed the voice that he had heard, and a guy named Ananias comes in and helps him understand some of these things. And from that point on, Paul's life is never the same. He is different absolutely in every way. He was baptized and healed and commissioned, and the old Saul never appears again. He is changed in every way. He is commissioned to obey the voice, preach on behalf of the voice. From there on out, he was devoted to the voice and his mission. And from that point on, he is changed in every single way That from that point on. That what he wanted to kill once in his life, now he wants to promote after hearing the voice. And from there on out, he was devoted to the mission. The most important thing, that which drove his life, was to teach and experience the voice of Jesus. And at the end of his life, he sat down and wrote down everything he was learning about in a prison cell. About this voice, and as he obeyed and followed this voice. Beatings and sleepless nights and filled with hunger, long journeys filled with danger shivering cold without enough clothes to keep him warm, and would travel thousands of miles in obedience to this voice. His life changed completely in every single way, and he wrote at least a dozen individuals and at least a dozen churches, and one of those churches he wrote was the church in Colossae, this book, the church in Colossae. You see, the gospel, the good news is the supremacy of Christ. When you get this, it changes everything. It changes our lives, and in Paul's letters, there's always a There's always a letter, and then there's always a recipient. And that letter, for it to make sense, there's this thing called context. It's the circumstances that arise around the occasion. And the backdrop kind of helps fill in these these details a bit for us. There's a context around this letter to the church in Colossians. Lay the foundation. So as you read it this week, this will lay a foundation and it'll help us understand what he has to say, maybe a little bit more clear in the book of Colossians. Five fast things, church, five things. Number one, Paul the apostle wrote it. You see in verse one, we see Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. So Paul the apostle opened it, or I'm sorry, he Paul the apostle wrote this letter and when you're writing a letter you've got had to somebody's got to open the letter right you don't write a letter and then have it stay in the envelope right somebody's got to open it so number 2 who opened it someone would have had to open would have had this church now in those days the church would have been more in the house church kind of thing but you would have had to have had somebody open the letter and read it and to teach it, and to teach it to the church. So check it out in verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And who also told us of your love in the spirit paul has never physically visited this church never seen this church most scholars believe that epaphras heard paul was preaching in ephesus went back to colossians planted the church and is now coming back to paul wanting to iron out a few issues it's in essence it's kind of like church planting a bit paul never visited this church but he had a heart and he had a passion for them it was this first introduction to them. Number three, five things. This is number three. When was it written? About 30 to 35 AD. This is very shortly after Jesus dies and resurrects. Very, very, very fast. Very close to the person of Jesus. It's not fuzzy in any way. Just after his death and resurrection, right? Him, he's just, it's just right in this kind of this moment in this seat right here, uh, in which this letter takes place. So it's very early on. So why was it written? It was written, so there's a there's a reason as to why it was written as well, to to combat Jewish and Greek false teachers within the church of Colossae. And he's writing for them not to give up on the supremacy of Christ over all things. And that's why he says in verse 5, the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored in you for you in heaven and about that which you have already heard is the true message of the gospel. He says you've heard the gospel. Now it produces this word of truth, meaning that you're proclaiming other things to be false. When we say the gospel is true, it's supreme over all things, we're saying other things are false and we're claiming other things the things that are lesser in our lives, to not be as important as the gospel. Jesus is the son of God, and that was a radical statement back then. Jesus is the only way. There was compromise in those days. He is the only way, and there was comfort. And like sometimes we kind of compromise these things even nowadays, there was compromise like, Maybe there's some other ways to get there. Maybe there's other means to faith. Maybe there's other ways, people, to get to faith. And so there was compromise. There was comfort. Don't get too, I mean, comfort, like, you know, sometimes we think, like, don't get too radical about Jesus. Don't get too, like, kind of keep him in his place, right? Don't get too radical about Jesus, right? So we kind of think about those things. Don't get, just go through the religious drills and motions. It's safe, right? Just kind of, like, Let's keep the thing kind of going in the machine, just kind of keep it, uh, the motions in place as well. And you have this sense that it connects so much with us. Will we give in to compromise, church? Will we give in to that? Will we give in to compromise? Will we become like the rest of the world? Are we going to play it safe and crawl into this kind of a hole religiously as well? Or will we stand firm and keep on the fire of God? And are we going to play it safe and call this... And just are we going to play it safe and give them a compromise as well? And that's why he says in chapter two, verses six through ten, he says, "So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overthrowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ." For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. He is the head over the, every power and authority. He says, Hold on to Christ, and at the very end of this argument, he buttons it up in verse 23. Verse 23 Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining restraining sensual indulgence. And if you walk away from Christ, if you give in to comfort, you will not have the strength from within to not give in to temptations of this world. It doesn't matter what it is, it has no value against the temptations of this world that He is head over every power. In authority, in verse 8, we find that. And then in verse 23, he's saying, hold on to Christ. Hold on to Christ. And when you know Christ, build up in Christ, rooted in Christ, that changes everything that changes everything. Just as we received him, we build upon him and we rooted in him and continue to build our lives in and through him as well. So what can you expect with this? I think that was four fast facts. I, don't, I think I said five, but that's four. That's besides the point. What can we expect from this letter? What can we expect from this, right? So kind of when you build, kind of look at this, we can expect this, that Christ's supremacy is chapters one and two kind of builds on this. It's theological. It's Christ's supremacy and then it's Christ's supremacy practically in chapters 3 and 4 and in verse 15 and in verse 15 there's just huge implications huge implications for us here in verse 15 "Have, have, have disarmed the powers and authorities he made them a public spectacle of them triumphing them over them by the cross I mean even this is a huge power and authority over every power and authority that christ has disarmed those powers and authorities on the cross as well and he springs into the practical after that the holiness of life chapters 3 verses even 1 through 17, talks about the holiness of life, throw off this religious, just all of this. I mean, just the holiness of life, to throw this off and to to, to continue to seek our marriages and our parenting and our evangelism, all the nitty-gritty details of our lives to bring it to the supremacy of Christ and allow Him to do what only He can do. So as we journey through this, might we just look at this and look at this book and to see Christ for all that who he really is. We're going to read uh, Colossians 1 verse 15. I know I've been kind of bouncing back and forth but we're going to go back to chapter 1 verse 15 through verse 20 and it says this, the son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him the cross. All of his fullness dwells in him. In verse, in verse 9, we, we learn that in verse 9. All the fullness dwells in him. And then in uh, 2.9, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, given fullness to Jesus, given fullness to Christ. And down to verse 12 in chapter 2, buried with him in baptism and raised with him who raised him from the dead, that we are united with Christ. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says this, since then that you have been raised with Christ, set your what? hearts on things above where christ is he is seated at every at the right hand of god set your heart set your heart i'm pointing in my head and i'm it's your heart not your head. set your, set your heart on things above uh we're gonna get to mine here okay but set your heart on things above church like setting our hearts on things that we cannot see that are above right the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who was your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. And does that, there's this question there, is, does that affect our daily lives? The raising of Christ and placing him over all things and placing our mind on things above and not of the things of the earth. How can we do this? You see, setting our hearts on things above, a whole new heart affection available to you and to set our heart and mind on the things that are above, seated at the right hand of God. And it says that Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And because of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, Paul could not see anywhere else to live. He lived in and through Jesus Christ. Notice verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross you see for us as christians it changes everything the cross changes our lives it changed as it changes everything we cannot or never stop talking about the cross we've got to continue to talk about the cross and the blood of jesus it has made peace through his blood shed on the cross and the cross changes everything for christians it's essential for everybody who calls upon christ our lives are lost without it church We are a people of the cross. We die to ourselves, right? We are people, amen? We are people of the cross. We are people of the cross. And without that, without the body and blood of Jesus, there would be nowhere without him. There would be no sacrifice for our sins. There would be nothing made right in our relationship with God. And Paul says this in Romans 3. This is another letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by by Christ Jesus. And God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement so that that perfect sacrifice was on Calvary for you and for me, that he did this as an atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. And in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We give him absolute first place in our lives over everything. There is a place for Jesus first in our lives, over all, through all, and in all. And in verse 18, it says that in everything that he might be preeminent, in verse 18, everything extends his firstness, the firstness of everything that we have in our lives, to wide as the scope, as conceivable, as beyond. He is first place Jesus Christ is needs first place in our families, first place in our marriages, first place in our professions, first place in our mission and ministry, first place in matters of our intellect, first place in our time, first place in love, first place in conversation, first place in pleasures, first place in eating, first place in play, first place in athletics, first place in what we watch, First place in art and music and and worship. Let's give him first place, church, in everything in our lives. Amen? Um, I thought I would have a tongue twister there. Maybe I did, but I'm surprised I got through that uh, without one. Verse 21, it goes like this. Back to chapter 1, verse 21. It says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. a servant once we were alienated from God church some I oftentimes we in the deepest most reflective thoughts our hardest moments our deepest days when life doesn't seem to go anywhere right we come back to the idea and to the reality of this verse that when things don't seem right when life seems chaotic we come to back and we say once we were alienated from God that once we were alienated very far away from God, and you know what? If everything else in your life is falling apart, you have the assurance to hang on to that God's with you. And He is our foundation and our hope is secure, church. Once we were alienated from God and He's reconciled to us, everything, through Him. You see, once we, when we experience the gospel, everything changes. When Christ is above all else, placed above every name, above every figure in human history, above all else in any other name or philosophy or ideology, everything else falls into place. Everything falls under the name of Jesus, under the name of Jesus. So here's some things I just want to say about this. You know, belonging to Jesus is is meant to shape every part of my life. Belonging to Jesus is meant to shape every part of my life. Did you notice that? If you continue in your faith, in verse 23, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, there's a lot of things that want to move us around. We are in a culture, in a world that is trying to move us around. Does it make sense? We don't need an amen to say that, right? We are in a culture and a time period in our lives where there is a lot of movement trying to push us away From what it truly means, what truth actually is, right? And there's a lot of different ideologies and philosophies and things that are trying to push us away from who our faith is secure in. Is that not reality, church? And following this and established and firm, we continue in our faith and don't move from the hope held out from the gospel. Faith is assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, what the book of Hebrews tells us. The Africans kind of illustrate this. The African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover of a distance of greater than 30 feet. Yet these magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a three-foot wall. The animals will not jump if they can't see where their feet will fall. Interesting, huh? One author put it like this, faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see, and with faith we are freed from the flimsy enclosures of life that only fear allows to entrap us. Even though that we can't see Jesus physically, even though we can't physically see the risen Jesus, we know it by faith. We were once alienated far from God, separated from the life of God at the very, very end of life, and God rescued us from sin and death and brought us back into right relationship with him. On April 15, 1912, probably know many of this, the Titanic White Star Liner Titanic raised her stern high above the frigid waters of the North Atlantic and began a slow, seemingly calibrated descent as her lighted porthole's towering stern slid silently below toward the ocean floor. That famous night saw the extremes of human behavior from abysmal cowardice to the terrible beauties of sacrificial love. But with the Titanic gone and her lifeboats spread upon the icy waters among the crying, drowning swimmers, the story was almost totally devoted to self-serving cowardice for the 1,600 people who were not able to get onto the lifeboats. Only 13 were picked up by the 18 half-empty boats that hovered nearby. In boat number five, when the third officer pitman heard the anguished cries, he turned to the boat and there was shouted, We will will pull toward the wreck. But the passengers protested. Why should we lose all of our lives in a useless attempt to save others from the ship? And Pittman gave in. And for the next hour, number five, with 40 people on board in a capacity of 65, heaved gently on the calm Atlantic while the 40 listened to the fading cries of the swimmers 300 yards away. The story was much the same on the other boats. Boat number two the officer Boxall asked the lady, shall we go back? And they said no. So boat number two, about 60% full, likewise drifted while her people callously listened. On boat number six, the situation was reversed as the women begged Quartermaster Hitchens to return, but he refused and he painted a vivid picture of the drowning overturning the boat. The women pleaded as the cries grew and grew fewer. Of the 18 boats, only one boat, number 14, returned to help. And this was an hour after the Titanic sinking, when the crashing when the thrashing crowd had thinned out. To me, the personal drama of the sinking of the Titanic is a parable (laughs) of a world gone wrong. Fallen humanity is a drift on the unfriendly sea, alienated, unable to help one another despite some fortive individual attempts. The wrongness of everything points to the fundamental problem of people's estrangement from life, from one another, its creation, from sin. It's a picture of the world that's desperately in sin and desperately in need of reconciliation and harmony and rightness that it can bring. Even apart from the terrible story of the Titanic, there is no doubt that the world is in need of reconciliation, church. There is no doubt that the world is in need of reconciliation, And all of creation is in need of reconciliation. It is this profound need that Paul has been moving us in our study to the book of Colossians. And now he takes up that he rescued us. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That the dominion of the darkness of the kingdom. He brought us from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of the kingdom of the Son he loves. We have redemption and the forgiveness of sins because that's Jesus. And there's this enemy. There's this evil enemy out there. Forgive it. It's paid in full. The Son is the invisible the is the, invisible in the image of God. In Him, all things were created. He's active and He's in through everything. All things hold together through Him, by Him, and for Him. He is not passive. Jesus is not a passive person. He's still working. Amen? Amen. We're awake, I think. Um, this, that phrase, He holds all things together, is a phrase that you've probably heard from others. You might, you know, Hold all things together. It's a phrase you've probably heard from others who might say that their life is kind of chaotic or busy or so crazy, spinning so fast, you feel like it's falling apart. And I just wonder if the answer is not an app or daytime TV, but simply gazing into the grandness of Jesus and the supremacy of Christ. And as we see Christ in a whole new way, you'll see that he holds everything. He holds everything together, church. You see, we've got this book We've got this book. It's not just for them in Colossae. It's for us. It's for you, the student, the stay-at-home mom. Can you hear it? Can you hear this? It's our call. Paul walks this church through all of this to the church. We, all, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Jesus, Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven it's secure because it's in heaven church it's bearing fruit and it's growing and it's all of its truth you are a part of a new creation that's happening because of the resurrection of jesus christ live with that hope every day because of the gospel he will spend the rest of this letter showing us that we must live differently because of the message you can't live the same because of this text he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to light everything changes joyfully follow him in everything. Let your roots grow down deep in him. Don't compromise. Don't go for comfort. You are complete in Christ and holy because of him. Don't live for the stuff down here. Live forever. Let Jesus put your old empty ways and bring them to death and bring them to newness of life, church. Can you hear the Colossian call here? So can I ask two important questions? Uh, two important questions one's for you and the and the second's for us as a church number one is this what is the dominant reality in your life and mine what is the most important thing in your life if we or if i were to see an mri of our heart right mri is the imaging thing am i right about that you, you go through the donut right okay um Right, If we were to see an MRI of the heart, what would it reveal? What does our heart long for? What do our hearts reveal? If we were all to have an MRI today, a scan of our heart, what is it going to say? What do you long for? What do you daydream about? What are your affections? Would it be knowing Christ? Um, What drives your life? What's the most important thing more than anything else? What do you long for? Paul says you can know the supremacy of Christ over all things. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Status, security, health, beauty, place in society, ability, admiration. Others can, the admiration others can bring to our lives. It's none of that. So when we identify things more than Christ, we must repent and want to know the joy of knowing you supreme over all. So what's the most important thing? So for, and What's the most important thing? Because any other dominant reality other than Jesus will not satisfy you. Any other reality other than Jesus won't satisfy you. Isn't that the truth? Secondly, it's this. What's the most dominant reality for us as a church? Will we, I think, sometimes we have a tendency to kind of slip into this. Will we give in to compromise, kind of minimize Jesus' words and mission and calling and comfort just like another kind of just like just kind of become comfortable and like minimize the words and just the mission that God has us just become like kind of another church you know in town or whatever but Jesus you're supreme and I want to live that out and we want to live that out every person and team and church every person committed we must be committed to Jesus we must be committed to Jesus. Okay, so here's three levels of challenge this week. Um, three levels of challenge, and here it goes. Uh, number one, uh, here, just three things that we can do this week, church. Read Colossians in its entirety. Just like you've got a pen and paper. If, got a, if you're a journaler, get a pen and paper. And some of you are students and you haven't picked up a pen since June, a month ago. That's not very long. But pen and paper and just read it from beginning to end. I think it would take, now it depends on your time, but you know, I could read it from beginning to end. Uh, secondly, read it three times this week. Here's the challenge. Read it three times or we could be really crazy. You could read it every day this week. You could be a little bit crazy. Read it every day this week. There's nothing like knowing Jesus and knowing him as the ultimate reality and authority and being the supremacy of Christ and for us and the church so that we may fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. That every heart, so that we might become the fullness of who God has called us to be as Christ followers. Amen. So that he might have supremacy, every heart, every conversation that he might have supremacy. Um, Amen. 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 Thanks for listening. Team, will you come on up as we sing? Will you stand with us as we uh, pray?